Open in your Bibles with me tonight to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week we uh, began a little short three-part series we are doing on uh, the life of the Apostle Paul and three statements or three separate times that he makes uh, a single statement found in the Pauline epistles. Uh, In the book of Romans chapter number 1 he says this, that I am ready also to preach the gospel to them that are at Rome. And uh, we find here in 2 Corinthians, he uses this terminology again. He says that I am ready to come to you. And uh, if the Lord will let us next week, we'll preach out of the book of 2 Timothy where it says I'm ready to be offered. When we talk about someone being ready, we talk about someone that is prepared. Someone that has given careful and conscious thought uh, to a particular matter. Someone that has taken the proper uh, actions that are needed to be ready when that time comes to be prepared for whatever it is that lays ahead. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, uh, you can get ready after it's going on, but you'll be a lot better off if you'll just go ahead and get ready now for some things. Amen? Some of you uh, remember back when Y2K happened. Anybody remember that? There's a few folks. And I heard one preacher say he had a whole lifetime supply of Oreos laid up in his garage still. And everybody was going crazy, you know, running around buying, uh, you know, water storage containers and uh, generators. Probably more generators sold that year than in the history of generators. And uh, some of you still got one sitting in the garage you ain't never used from then. And uh, folks were getting ready because they knew something might happen. And uh, lo and behold, nothing happened. But uh, and, and by the way, I, I'll tell you a funny story. I, I had a, a friend of mine, he's an older gentleman, and uh, he's working at a radio station. And uh, he got uh, a letter from the bigwigs. They said, we want to know if our radio station is Y2K compliant. And uh, what they didn't realize is that that entire radio station was analog. It was not digital. And so he sent them about a 40-page report, said, yes, sir, the coffee machine is Y2K compliant. The toaster in the break room is Y2K compliant. We've tested the refrigerator, and it's all Y2K compliant. Of course, that came and went. But there are some things coming down the pike that are going to happen, and we know they're going to happen. We better be ready for it. And the Apostle Paul makes the statement. He says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. And so we preached a little bit last week on this thought, I am ready to share God's redemption. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is not uh, writing to the Roman believers any longer, but he's writing to the church at Corinth. And uh, as he writes to them, he has a history with the church at Corinth. And he's letting them know that he is prepared to come and to visit them. And let's begin reading in verse number 11. We'll read down to verse 15 and we'll preach for a few moments this evening. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says this, I am become a fool in glorying. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you For I in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? He says, forgive me this wrong. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, 
Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Look at verse number 14 again. Paul says, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Father, we thank You for this time that You've given us. We thank You for the privilege to gather with these Your redeemed here in this house tonight. We pray, Lord, that You glorify the high and holy name of Your Son in our midst. Lord, that He would increase and we might decrease tonight, and that we'd be drawn closer to You. Lord, we love You, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Paul says in verse 14 that he's ready to come and visit the church at Corinth. I believe it behooves us to examine for a moment the context of what Paul is dealing with. Paul has already come and visited uh, the church at Corinth on two other occasions, and it has not really been a pleasant visit. The first time that Paul visits them, it's in planting this church. And uh, no doubt that was a blissful time as God made manifest uh, the, the authenticity of Paul's apostleship in that midst. As souls were saved, as folks got help, got confirmation, assurance in the gospel, as a local body was planted and began to grow and to flourish together. But as you come to the book of 1 Corinthians, you find the tone changes quite a bit. Sin had taken hold in the church in many different ways. Uh, it was a disorderly place. Don't you believe that though church ought to be a fun place, though church ought to be a place where there's liberty, don't you believe that you can have liberty and order at the same time? Church ought to be an orderly place. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, he uh, rebukes them uh, for the way that uh, tongues was being carried out there. And by the way, you know, I, I know that there's certain movements that have you to believe that, uh, that what they call tongues, which is not scriptural tongues, but what they call tongues, is some sort of manifestation of spirituality. But I'd have you notice that the church at Corinth was by and far the most carnal of the churches that Paul dealt with. It was a church that was eaten up with sin from the inside out. So much so that even the sin that was present in the church at Corinth wasn't even present out in the world in that part of the land that they lived in. And he says that it's not even named the kind of sin that's going on amongst you and the adultery and the fornication that was taking place in that church. And so when he speaks to them in 1 Corinthians, uh, he sort of speaks to them with the rod. He speaks to them, he rebukes them, he, uh, he cautions them lest the judgment of God would fall upon them. And uh, evidently it did some good because they did, they did handle that fellow, they did deal with that fellow that was uh, taken in sin. But uh, when you come to 2 Corinthians, the tone of Paul's letter sort of changes. And uh, while he does have some things that he says that are maybe a little scathing in the book of 2 Corinthians, it is much softer in its tone. And uh, he is writing to them, imploring them that they would love the Lord, live for the Lord, get the house in order, go on for God, win people to Christ, and live for the glory of God. And he makes this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I believe the context that we need to understand is that Paul is defending his apostleship to this group of believers. There were some in this body that would say, oh, that Apostle Paul, you know, he, he sounds real scary in his letters, but his bodily uh, presence is in weakness and feebleness. Uh, you know, he talks a big game, but he's not really an apostle of God. Uh, God has not really gave off, uh, authentication to his ministry. Uh, you may remember that Paul was a mighty fellow, but Paul's not really a mighty apostle. And so Paul is sort of defending his apostleship. And he's talking about the work that God had done in their midst. 
You know, if there's one theme and one thing that you see and understand from reading Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, it is this, that it is not always an easy thing to serve God. Sometimes God has you labor in places where you're maybe not as appreciated as you should be. Sometimes God has you labor in places where maybe there's not as much glory as there should be. Sometimes God has you labor in some places where folks don't call you blessed like they should. And this week I want us to consider this thought. Paul says, I'm ready. And what is he really saying? He's saying, I'm ready to come to you at the church of Corinth. And I'm ready once again to lay myself on the altar of what's best for you. And he says, I am ready to serve God's redeemed to the best of my capacity. You know that every single one of us is called to serve God. There's not a single one of us that's not. Every person in this room, we're called to serve God and to serve others. Now, our capacity may differ. Uh, the uh, appearance of our ministries may differ. The scope of our ministries may differ. But you better go ahead and get it in your mind right now that if you sit there as a born-again Christian, God didn't save you to sit. He saved you to serve. And though there are many pleasant things in the service of the Lord God of heaven, there are times when it's difficult. If you only serve God when it's easy, you won't serve God very often. If you only serve God when it's pleasant to do so all the time, you won't serve God very often. I wonder how many of us would last long at work if we treated work the way we treat serving God. You know, uh, you, you learn real quick when you get a job, if you've got any kind of job worth having, that you can't just show up when you feel like showing up. You can't just do things on your own time and in your own way. If you want that paycheck at the end of the week, you've got to sacrifice some things. Uh, I, I remember when I was uh, working selling auto parts, it used to drive me crazy. You know, it, it, any of you ever worked in retail? I'm sure a few of you have. Come on now. You with me tonight? Everybody, we okay? All right, there we go. And uh, we'd have these meetings, you know. They'd have these pep talk meetings. Now, we're selling auto parts. Now, I I agree when a man needs a set of brake pads, he needs a set of brake pads. But it just was not the most consequential job in the world. Somebody say amen to that. You ever worked in a job like that where probably if you didn't show up, the the sky wouldn't fall and, you know, uh, the, the seas wouldn't begin to set themselves on fire? I mean, it's just a job. And we'd go in, we'd have these meetings, and, uh, you know, I, I'd feel bad for management because it's their job to, you know, motivate these people. And, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's grown men that ought to be making more than they're making, but they're selling auto parts, you know, next to some pimply-faced teenager, and they don't want to be there. They've got to motivate these people. And I remember they'd say all the time in, in, in meetings, uh, they'd say, now, how many of you want to move up in this company? And uh, everybody except for me and this old man we called Nort. He was the most crotchety, grumpy old man you've ever met. He was from Michigan, and he let you know it. And me and him would sit there. We wouldn't raise our hands. And uh, they'd always look at me real cross. They'd say, you don't want to advance in the company? I said, no. They'd say, well, you don't want to get in management? I'd say, no, I don't want to get in management. This is auto parts. (laughs) They'd say, why are you here? I'd say, I'm here for paycheck. I'm here for what you're going to give me at the end of the week. That's why I'm here. This is not a passion of mine. I'm here to do the job that needs to be done to get the paycheck that there is to be earned. You know, there's times even in serving God, and while certainly in serving God it's a much grander purpose and much grander calling, uh, there's times when we acknowledge that it's not easy. But we go on and serve God anyway because there's a job that needs to be done. Amen? We don't do it because folks are clapping because folks ain't always going to clap. 
We don't do it because folks notice, because folks don't always notice. We serve God for the God of heaven that sees and understands and knows everything that takes place. When Paul is writing to these believers, I believe the thing we can glean and gain, and we're going to look at a few thoughts here, is that even when it's not easy to serve God, it's worth serving God. Even when it's tough to serve God, it's worth serving God. Even when your flesh don't want you to serve God, your flesh never wants you to serve God, but then you have certain days when your flesh is just a little louder about it than it is at other times. And on those days, it's still worth it to serve God. I want you to notice three occasions in which Paul is serving God that we may be called to serve at times. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me again. He says this, I am become a fool in glorying. Now, why did he say that? Well, because he had spent uh, the uh, past few verses talking about the things that God had done in his life. In fact, if you look at the beginning of this chapter, he talks about the fact that uh, when he was, uh, you know, when he was had sort of what folks would call some kind of out-of-body experience, he died and was caught up into the third heaven, and he saw things that aren't lawful to be written, uh, but God gave him a thorn in the flesh so that he would not be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that were given to him. Uh, just prior to that, in chapter number 11, he talks about all the things that he's done in serving God. Look at it with me. This is a good little laundry list. He says this in verse 23 of chapter 11, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in uh, perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. You expect him to say, on a train, on a plane, in a box with a fox. He says, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in uh, fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without which cometh upon the daily upon me daily the care of all the churches. He was talking about what a difficult road he's had in serving God. Now, Paul didn't want to do this, but he was compelled to do it. Why was he compelled? Because the church at Corinth was saying, you know, that Apostle Paul, he's not really an apostle. It's interesting to note that real Christians are measured uh, not by their medals, but by their scars. Somebody say amen to that. You want to know if somebody's a real Christian? Uh, don't, don't ask how many times they've been bragged on. Ask how many times they've been lied about. Amen? Paul says, when I want to show you the authenticity of my ministry, I can show you the things that I've suffered. He said, I don't want to do this. I know I look like a fool doing this, and it is foolish. He had already said, God forbid that he should glory in anything saving the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, these things really aren't much of anything compared to what Christ did for me. But if I am forced to authenticate and vindicate my ministry, he says, I can do it. He says, for I ought to have been commended of you, verse 11, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest of apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Can I say to you, number one, that there's going to be times you're going to have to serve God without glory. You know, Paul, he says, I should have been commended of you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I shouldn't have to say these things about me. You ought to be saying these things about me. I shouldn't have to testify that I'm an apostle. You should be the ones testifying that I'm an apostle. But he says, just the same, I'll go on and serve God, even if there's no earthly glory in it. Listen, I wish I could tell you that every time that you do something for God, the whole world's going to stop and clap for you. But I'd be lying to tell you that. 
I want you to notice the praise that was missing. Look again what he says at the beginning. He says, I ought to have been commended. There should have been some praise there. You know, I believe it's scriptural and right. Not that we would glory in ourselves, but that another would glory in us. I think if somebody's serving God, you ought to tell them you appreciate it. Amen? You ought to tell them you appreciate it. It's one of the things we try to practice around here. And in fact, we, we did it this morning. I'm glad Brother Larry uh, mentioned it uh, before we close uh, uh, the service or before we finish doing the uh, announcements uh, that we wanted to mention about last Friday night and uh, the, the work that was done there. Why? Because it's worthy to be mentioned. Some folks went out of their way to do something for Christ. Some folks, some folks sacrificed. They didn't have to be there, but they were there. They made an effort and endeavor to be there, and it glorified the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's right to note that and to commend that. But there's going to be times nobody will note it. There's going to be times nobody will commend it. If you're serving God for the praise of men, you won't last long. Because sometimes that praise just isn't there. Sometimes it's because what we're doing no one knows about. Sometimes it's because what we're doing no one cares about. Let me tell you something. The, the, uh, the most choice and chief servants of God ought to be those that give out the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you believe that? But oftentimes that's the most overlooked in the realm of the servants of God. Uh, you know, I appreciate all the, the singers, and I'm, I'm not musically inclined, but I'm a little musically reclined. Somebody say amen to that. But it's funny that in a lot of churches, and thankfully I, I don't believe ours is this way, we have, we have godly singers that are consecrated that love the Lord. But I know a lot of churches where if a person can carry a tune, they can get away with anything. Right? When it's really, most of us singers would acknowledge this, though it does take effort, though it does take time to prepare, and though there is certainly a, a, a subduing the flesh that must take place to do that, compared to a, a lot of folks that are scrubbing toilets, a lot of folks that are, that are washing dishes, a lot of folks that are doing things that nobody's going to clap for, it's easy to get up and sing a song or preach a sermon. Oftentimes, as a pastor, folks will come up to me, they did it today, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, it. It means a lot to me. Folks say, that was a good sermon, preacher. We appreciate it. Let me just say that oftentimes the easy side is the preaching the sermons, the singing the songs, the playing the instruments. That's the side that gets some glory. But a lot of serving God don't get any glory. But it's just as necessary. And it's just as appreciated by the God of heaven. We see the praise that was missing. But I want you to notice, secondly, we see the prestige of this ministry. Paul says this, For in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. You know, uh, you have to understand, we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning with the young people uh, as we studied the book of Galatians and Paul recounts a little bit of his personal history. Uh, Paul was very much an outsider to that group that was in Jerusalem of Peter and James and John and, and the other apostles. They had known him as Saul of Tarsus. He was the, the, the hater and persecutor of Christianity. And then he gets born again and he disappears and, and spends three years on the backside of a desert uh, having uh, the mysteries of God revealed to him uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he shows up at Jerusalem, he is very much an outsider in Acts chapter 13. They don't know who he is, and he has to sort of prove who he is. But when you come down to the end of the scriptural record, I think most of us would acknowledge and say heartily along with Paul that Paul was not behind them even in the minutest bit. In fact, some people might even say this, that Paul was head and shoulders above many of those other men, though they were great men of God. In other words, uh, Paul's not just doing a good work, but Paul's a good man. It's been said before that probably the best Christian in the world doesn't know they are, and, know, and neither does anybody else. 
the people that I can look at in my life that I believe were the greatest Christians, they were not marked by, uh, by a loud mouth and a boisterous spirit. They were not marked uh, by someone that, that did great deeds of valor or had medals pinned to their chest. But oftentimes when I see the people that most emulated the Spirit of Christ, they had a meekness, a quietude about them, a consistency. They merely went about the work of uh, God and the ministry without needing anyone to pat them on the back. But really, you get to looking at their life and you see that they were the ones who had a heart knit closest to the Savior. You know, just because nobody acknowledges that you're serving God, that doesn't mean you're not serving God. I mean, we look back at it and we're dumbfounded. We think, how could the church at Corinth treat them that way? But I wonder who we may have in our midst that God's doing a real work in their heart and through them, the folks that you never hear about. I'm not talking about the one up here preaching a sermon right now. I'm talking about the folks that never crossed your mind that are doing a work for God that we take for granted. In other words, sometimes when you're serving God, you get took for granted. And sometimes folks don't notice and appreciate. Notice the proof that was manifest. He says this, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. I like the way that Paul starts that off with the word patience. What's the greatest evidence that someone is a true servant of God? In their work, they have patience. Uh, There may have been signs and wonders and many deeds that came afterwards, but Paul says the first and grandest proof that I truly loved God and was serving and working in your midst, the, the, the greatest proof that I was genuine is that I was patient and faithful in my endeavor. Let me tell you this. It's, I, nothing speaks louder than unfaithfulness. And nothing speaks louder than faithfulness. It don't matter what you can do if you're not faithful... Everything else don't mean much. By the same token, it don't matter how you mess up or what you do. If you're faithful, I found folks are pretty forgiving about it. Faithfulness is the chief and most important element in our service for God. To just keep going when no one else is going. To keep serving when no one's clapping about it, no one appreciates it, no one's talking about it. To keep doing the work because the work's there and the work needs to be done. He says, there was no question at that time that there was a great apostle in your midst, said, but now you look back and you question the work that God did. In other words, there wasn't anything wrong with Paul in this instance. Paul was doing the right thing in the right way, in the right spirit and in the right power. But still they didn't give him the glory that probably ought to have been due to him. In other words, there's going to be times in your life when it's not that you're doing anything wrong, it's just this world don't pay much attention to good Christians. Sometimes the church don't pay much attention to good Christians. Let me say again, I, listen, I, I, and I hope you understand, I ain't talking about me. I'm talk, I ain't talking about the folks that preach the sermons. I'm talking about the folks you never hear from that are just quietly doing a work for God. You better be ready to serve God without glory because sometimes it's going to be without glory. If you can't handle serving God without somebody constantly coming around every two seconds patting you on the back and telling you how great you are, you ain't going to last very long. You've got to get it in your head that you're serving God for God. And you're not serving God for those that are around you. I want you to notice the second thing with me tonight. He was willing to serve God without glory. But look at verse 13 and 14. He says this, For what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches? Now, why does he say that? He says that because they're looking backwards at their history with Paul and they're saying, Boy, we got gypped. I mean, the church down the road, they got the Apostle John. Uh, these Hebrew brethren over here, they got Peter. And, uh, you know, the church at Jerusalem, it got James. And all we got was the Apostle Paul. 
And they were saying, we were inferior. We were missing some things because of you, Paul. And Paul says, what was it that you were missing except this? He says, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Now, what is Paul talking about? He's talking about their support of him monetarily, financially in the ministry. And he's saying this, I should have forced you to meet my needs so that fruit might abound to your account. Do you remember in the book of Philippians when he talks about that? And, and, and he says that, uh, that, you know, I desire that you give a gift. I desire that you do this, not because I desire the gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's saying, I want you to give, not because I want what you got, but because I want you to get what God's got, that He gives to those that liberally and faithfully give to the work of the ministry. Paul says, I didn't require this of you. He said, forgive me that. I should have. Now, I, 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 I try to be cautious how I say this because I, I, I don't ever want to seem presumptuous, nor do I want to seem entitled. Our church is very good to me, takes very good care of me. My wife is able to be home with our, with our uh, little boy. I'm able to be full-time in the ministry. And God's blessed our church because of that. I believe that with my whole heart. Listen, God, there's times, Brother Larry can tell you this, there's times we can't figure out where the money comes from. And we just have to stop and say, well, I guess that's just God, Right? But I will tell you this, that, that uh, when, when the church has made decisions to support me, you've been able to see an increase in the work and the giving as a result of that. Not because of me, not because of you, but because of God. So that's, that's proper. And we understand that from the Word of God, muzzle not the ox that treadeth out the corn. Paul says this, I should have required that of you, but I didn't. And then he says this in verse number 14. I want you to notice it. He says, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. Now, isn't that strange? Paul just got through saying the only place where you were missing anything is you weren't giving to the support of the ministry. He says, I should have caused you to. But then he turns right around. He says, But I'm coming back, and I'm not going to require it of you again. Now, this isn't my message, but let me just say this. You say, Why would Paul say such a thing? Because uh, God loveth a cheerful giver, right? Uh, Not an obligated giver. God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul minces no words that they should have done this. It would have been good for them to do this. They would have grown in the Lord had they done this. But he says, I'm still not going to force you to do this. Because it's got to be your choice and your free will offering, your free will decision. But he says this, For I seek not yours, but you. For the parent, or for the children, verse number 14, ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. In other words, Paul says, I should have come and been supported of you, but I wasn't. But guess what? I'm coming back again, and I know I'm not going to be supported again. Let me say there's times that we serve God without glory, but there's times that we serve God without gain. I wish I could tell you that the most wealthy people in the world are those that are sold out to Christ. But I can't tell you that. If our Lord and Savior had no place where to lay His head, then listen, I don't care what Creflo Dollar or any of the rest of them say. There's going to be times that you serve God and still come up on hard times financially. There's going to be time If the only time that you're serving God is when God's blessing you in a temporal way, there's going to be a lot of times you're not going to serve God. Because let me tell you something, a lot of times the greater blessing is in the faith that we need rather than in the finances that we desire. 
Oftentimes, God is exercising and growing our faith through the means of financial hardship. And one of these days, we'll get on the other side of glory and we'll look back and you know what we'll say? Uh, we'll say that, uh, that the, the suffering, that the affliction, uh, that the things that we did with that are far outweighed by the glory that's revealed in us, Paul said. In other words, a lot of times, God may grow your faith uh, by uh, blessing you, but God may grow your faith by burdening you. Paul says, I shouldn't have had to have worked with my hands. By the way, let me just say this. I've said a lot of other things, so I'll say this. I believe the pastor ought to work if he needs to work. Amen? We, uh, I told Brother Larry, and I don't know why I'm sharing these things, but I feel liberty to share them tonight. I, uh, I told Brother Larry back when we was getting ready to have a little man. I went to him. He can testify to the truth of this. And we was coming up close, to, you know, to it. It was like October or something. And, and I went to him. I said, Brother Larry, I, I need to know if the church is intending financially on doing something. I said, I'm not scared to work. And he, he can testify to that. If I need to go back to work, I'm fine going back to work. I said, but I do need to know something so I can get out and be looking for a job so I can support my family and take care of my family. I think when you come to those times, whether you're in ministry or not in ministry, I think God hates a lazy man. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> I think that if we need to work, we ought to work. And uh, Paul certainly did work with his hands, but I think, and you've seen this in a lot of mountain churches. Any of you ever been in a mountain church before? Sure you have. You see in a lot of mountain churches a, a, a very fierce resistance to the notion of taking care of God's man. And I believe that's one of the reasons that so many of those little mountain churches stay little mountain churches, is because they're not willing to endeavor on that. But uh, Paul says this, I was willing to work with my hands and I'm willing to work with my hands again if that's what it takes that I might have an influence and an impact in your lives. There's times that you're going to have to serve God and you may fall upon hard times. Things may not go as you're expecting or as you're anticipating. But you know what Paul's reasoning is? He says this, for I seek not yours but you. Paul says, I didn't get in this thing to get rich. In fact, we might uh, note this, that Paul was rich before he got into this thing. We don't really know much about the history of the Apostle Paul. A lot of folks have speculated as to whether he had been married, had a wife, had children, if they had died, if they had left, what had happened in his life. Certainly there were certain rules to be a part of the Sanhedrin, and uh, Paul no doubt was a part of that group. We don't know all those things, and all we can do is speculate if we try to seek answers. But here's something we do know about his history before he got saved, and we already noted it once today. But he said that I profited above, uh, above uh, many of my brethren in the Jews' religion amongst many my equals, he said in the book of Galatians. In other words, before Paul got into the ministry, he did have money. He had profited in the Jews' religion. And yet we find him in uh, his ministry, times when he's got to lean on and depend upon the brethren around him just to keep him sustained and keep him going. I remember hearing a preacher say one time he's talking about giving and uh, they, he had a need. We're at a campus, what it was, and he had a need and he sort of had his hat in his hands. And he said that an old preacher told him one time, uh, he was talking to the guy and he said, well, I just hate to ask. And he said, well, you better get over it because <laughs> there's times you'll have to ask, Right? Come on now, help me now. There's times you'll have to. There's times you need help. And certainly Paul needed help at times, but he says this, if I've got to labor with my hands to labor amongst you, then I'll labor with my hands to labor amongst you. There's going to be times you're going to have to serve God and it won't pay off in a temporal way. Well, let me give you one last one. You ain't no fun to preach to tonight, so I'm just going to hush and go eat. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Ted. 
Look at verse number 15. He says this, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, there's a lot of things we could say about that. But I want to say that there will be times you'll serve God without glory and there will be times you'll serve God without gain. But there will be a lot of times that you'll just simply serve God without gratitude. There will be times nobody will appreciate what you're doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice the way Paul says it. Notice his delighted expenditure. He says, I will very gladly spend. Uh, you know, uh, that if there's anything that would tell me that Paul couldn't have been a Baptist, that would have been it. Amen? Because we don't gladly spend on anything. He says, I will very gladly spend. What's he talking about? He's talking about his own time. He's talking about his own money. He's talking about his own efforts. He's saying, I'm glad to do these things. Why? Because I love you. Because I care for you. Because I want to minister in your midst. Notice the second thing. You see his devoted exhaustion. He says, and be spent for you. In other words, ministry was costing Paul something. I was talking to a preacher friend back of this. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize this to these evangelists that are on the road. Uh, a lot of people look at an evangelist on the road and they think, oh, man, boy, they're living large. You know, they're getting love offerings every week, laying up in hotels and eating steaks. I was talking to a pretty well-known evangelist friend of mine. And I'm talking about somebody that's booked about 48 weeks out of the year. And he said of those 48 weeks out of the year, probably about 40 of them, it costs him more to be on the road than he takes off the road. It ought to convict us as a local body that we do everything we can to take care of God's man when he's in, don't it? Especially these brethren that have families that they're having to tote around. And it is their scriptural right to bring a family with them. That's what Paul said. He said, I have the right to lead about a wife just like uh, Peter does. I have a right to do that. They have every right to do that. And we never, when we have an evangelist in, we never tell them they can't bring their kids or can't bring their wife. We don't have the scriptural authority to tell them they cannot do that. God said they have the right to do that. But it ought to open our eyes to the cost sometimes of serving God. You've heard me say it before, but nothing's ever done for God with spare change or spare time. It's going to cost you something to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. It didn't cost you anything to get saved, but old Lester Olaf used to say, but it'll cost you a lot to live saved. What he means by that, not to maintain your salvation, but to live like a Christian, to, to, to live like Christ, that, that's going to cost you some things in your life. And Paul says, I was glad to spend, and I was determined to spend all. And then notice finally, and I'm done, we see in this passage his delighted expenditure and his devoted exhaustion, but notice his disappointing exchange. Now, let me tell you how I would have written the end of this if I had wanted to write it. I would have said, I spend all and I'm spent for you and you love me for it and care for me and everything goes well. We hug next and I mean everything, we're happy. But Paul wouldn't have been writing this letter if that had been the reality. Notice what the reality is that he says. He says, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That's the disappointing exchange that he's experiencing, is that the more he gives, the less he gets. Now, you say, preacher, th you know, this is discouraging tonight. No, this is reality tonight. You know, a lot of, you know why this isn't a lot of people's reality? Because a lot of people aren't really serving God in the world that we live in. Let me tell you something. Coming to church Sunday morning is not doing much for God. All right? Everybody Okay. I'm not fussing, I'm just, I'm just saying. We live in a society where if you show up once a month, people say, oh boy, I've really done God a favor. 
And then they, you know, some, somebody gets mad at them and they think they're persecuted. God help us, right? That's not real biblical New Testament Christianity. The fact is, you really get in this thing, I'm talking about you really plug in, you really start to serve God, there's times it's going to be difficult. But, uh, but don't think you're the only one that's ever experienced that. Paul went through a lot more than probably me and you will ever go through. But he determined that he was ready to serve God. Let me tell you something. I know a lot of folks, they're ready to serve God if everybody will clap for them. They're ready to serve God. If everybody will brag on them, they're ready to serve God. If it'll mean they'll never have another, another problem or another difficulty. But they're not really ready to serve God if that's the only kind of readiness they have. Because there's times when in serving God it is difficult. There's times in serving God when you love folks and they don't love you back. Amen? There's times in serving God that, that when you sacrifice for people and they don't sacrifice back. And if the only way you're going to serve God is if it's on a level playing field, you're not going to serve God very often. We have to make our minds up that we're, we're doing this thing not for them and not for anybody else, but we're doing this thing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Our reward is laid up in heaven. Our treasure is laid up in heaven. Uh, we, we, anybody that gets into serving God to get rich, somebody lied to them. <laughs> Right? Hey, again, I'm not poor-mouthing. God's, fo- God's people take good care of me. But, but I'm just saying that, uh, you know, nobody gets rich through serving God. No, we endeavor and make up our minds that we'll serve God for the Lord, for God. Not for anybody else, not because anybody else appreciates it. You'll find that God will give you some blessed times in your life when people do appreciate it. You'll find there will be some times in your life when people do acknowledge what you're doing. And those are precious, precious times that God encourages you through. But if that's what you're leaning on, you won't do it very often. Let me give you this verse and I'll end. Christ said this in John chapter 4. Do you remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? And he's not eating anything. His disciples are worried about him and he's been witnessing this lady. And uh, she gets born again. She runs off into town to tell everybody about it. And his disciples uh, come to him and they say, Master, you need to eat. You need to eat. You need to eat. He makes this statement. He says, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. He didn't say, My meat is to be crowned a king. My meat is to be applauded by men. My meat is to lay up the riches of this world. He says, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. Let me tell you something. When you learn to live off of the knowledge that you're serving God, when that becomes sufficient, then you've found the path to real faithfulness. As long as your motivation is anything other than pleasing God, you'll never be faithful. Because men won't always appreciate it. Men won't always see. Men won't always congratulate you. It won't always seem to pay off in a temporal way. But let me tell you something. Uh, one thing that never changes is that obedience to God always pleases God. So if you're in this thing to please God, then you'll always be obedient. Now, I don't mean perfect, but you understand what I'm saying. You'll always be faithful. On those days when the blanket feels heavy, you'll get up and come on anyway. On those days when you don't feel like giving out a track, you'll do it anyway. On those days when your Bible seems dry and boring, you'll read it anyway. On those days when it's a struggle to be in the prayer closet, you'll pray anyway. Because you're not in this thing because of how good it feels or because of how fun it is. You're in it because it's pleasing to God. I wonder how many of us could say that. Man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm not ready for the big times. I'm ready for the slow times. I, I'm not ready for the applause. I'm ready for the booing. <laughs> Somebody say amen to that. I'm ready to serve God. I hope that you are not. If not, I hope you'll get ready. 
I believe God will give you the strength to do that this evening with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, the altars open. I don't know what God may have done in your heart. And I know it was a little bit different service this evening than what we normally have, but I believe the Lord had something for us this evening. And if God has spoken to your heart in some way, I want you to slip out of your seat right now and I want you to come down. I want you to pray.